Welcome back to Prospects the Pros on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler. He's Lance Zerline. Uh, on today's show, the Big Ten is back, and we're going to count down the top NFL prospects in that conference. I also wanted to touch on uh, Alabama's Mac Jones, the performance he had against Georgia over the weekend. And for the position overview this week, uh, we'll be talking about safeties, kind of breaking down more of a philosophical view of the position uh, from a scouting perspective, how you know we break down traits, how we watch the film, kind of go in depth uh, on that position. Uh, but first, let's do a quick rundown of uh, a few of the rookie performances uh, from Sunday uh, in the NFL. Cole Kmet, uh, you know, we've talked about how this is not has not was not a great tight end class, and that's kind of held true uh, so far this year. But he scored his first NFL touchdown on Sunday. I can't remember, Lance. Was he your top tight end in this class? Yeah, just uh, by like literally, a t- it was like six three one to six three two against uh, Harrison Bryant. Nice, uh, yeah, Kmet. It's good to see him get in the end zone and. They've used him quite a bit, but mostly as a blocker. So uh, he's starting to get a little more incorporated into that passing game, which is good to see. Uh, Tay Crowder, uh, who was the last pick in the draft, became the first Mr. Irrelevant to score a defensive touchdown. Uh, picked yeah. up a fumble and scored. That that ended up being the difference uh, in that game as the Giants uh, got their first win, beat the Washington football team by, uh, by one point. So... We've got the Jets as the lone winless team now in the NFL. It's it's crazy. We have there's like six or seven one win teams, but it's the Jets sitting at the top uh, of the Trevor Lawrence uh, sweepstakes. Uh, I mean, it. We still feel like the Jets have uh, kind of a stranglehold on, on that race, right? Yeah, I would say uh, I, I don't think anyone's going to touch them. <laughs> I don't think anyone's touching the Jets. Number one, you you have you don't have a very good roster. Number one, number two, it almost feels like they're keeping Adam Gase there because they're worried that they might win. If they had Greg Williams take over, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Greg Williams. He's, he's just good enough of an interim coach where he will win a game or two. So, you know, I'm not hiring Greg Williams as my full-time head coach, but he, he could mess up the streak. (laughs) He could absolutely mess up the streak and he's over there dogging his own offense right now. Uh, which I think is uh, a little bit funny. You know, it's always funny, the, the, the rookie year, when I watch rookie year, sometimes I also look for players who are kind of their, it's their rookie year because they didn't do anything their rookie year. Like, um, I don't want to say that's necessarily the case, but what Daryl Henderson is doing, for example, that's what I thought he could do. And I'm thinking hmm. to myself, what's going to happen with Cam Akers right now? Because Daryl Henderson yeah. is really like his he ran the outside zone stuff and inside zone. He was fantastic with his change of direction. And I think Cam Akers is a very good back as well. So I think it's going to be very interesting uh, to see how that, that looks moving forward. And so a lot of times I will look at, you know, while I'm looking at rookies, there are guys who come out of nowhere who I thought, you know, I was wondering when this guy would show up and start doing something because you also will have that uh, from time to time at different positions. So uh, that's always something that's that's kind of fun to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, and like we've talked about so much, uh, when it comes to rookie performances, so much about it is just opportunity. And, uh, you know, guys that are out there earn the time, at, you know, James Robinson in Jacksonville, and, uh, you know, they're, they're taking advantage of the opportunity couple other rookies we want to talk about Tua we finally saw, saw him on the field making his NFL debut right really cool moment after the game that, that was able to be captured when he went on the field by himself and FaceTimed his parents and kind of you know went through that whole thing you could just tell how much this means to him and it's uh, you know Ryan Fitzpatrick he's there, there's no reason to kind of move away from him right now with the with, you know the Dolphins winning and um, you know, doing some positive things on that offense, but it, you know, two is the future uh, of that franchise. And I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you even though you're you're looking at the success that Herbert's having with the Chargers, I think you still feel pretty optimistic uh, about Tua and his future. Yeah, I think you also need to mention Brandon Ayuk had his first receiving touchdown of the year. Um, he did, yeah, yeah, he had his first receiving touchdown of the year. You had just kind of settled into a nice soft spot and 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 turtled up and pulled it in and he ends on an, uh, and just a, a quick little zone beater you had uh, actually it wasn't a zone beater. It was just guys got m- messed up coverage, but also AJ Terrell had his first interception um, of his rookie season. And you had 
Um, oh, there was somebody else I wanted to give some love to. You also, oh, Chase Claypool with another rushing touchdown. Another, what a great Swiss Army knife he's been. I know we talked about him last week, but he did it again. And I don't think it's crazy to say that the Chase Claypool is is got a shot to hear his name called in the top three rookies of the year if this keeps up. Oh, no doubt. I mean, against the Browns, four catches, 74 yards, uh, the rushing touchdown, like you mentioned. So far this year, he's been targeted 24 times. So not a huge you know, uh, share there of the targets. But over those 24 uh, targets, 17 catches, 335 yards, six total touchdowns. Uh, I mean, not bad for the 11th wide receiver drafted. No, not at all. And of course, the I think the player of the the player of the week, if you're looking at rookies, player of the week is DeAndre Swift. This to me yep. was I just thought he was definitely the best running back um, in the draft last year. I I and I thought that was all. You know, at one point he was fourth on the depth chart and third and fantasy football fan. And this always happens with rookies, running backs, or, or especially rookies will get out of the gate slowly and guys you thought were going to be factors. And all of a sudden by week five or six, it happened week three with Justin Jefferson, um, got out of the gate slowly. And then all of a sudden week three is, he's just killing it. Deandre Swift this week was fantastic in case you missed it. He was absolutely um, great in the, uh, in the game this week. And I know he had over a hundred yards rushing. He had, um, and he's also done a good job of catching a football too, by the way, a dual threat, uh, running back three, a three down back is developing right there. But what was impressive is this was the first time since 1989 when Barry Sanders did it, the first lions running back to have a hundred yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns. How impossible does that sound? Not one running back had two rushing touchdowns and a hundred yards rushing in a game since Barry Sanders in 89. Yeah. Not just, not just, not just rookie. Not, no, no running back. What? Maybe it is. You know what? Maybe it is rookie because that was Barry. Barry Sanders never did that. That was Barry's rookie year was 89. So maybe, maybe it was rookie running back. Maybe you're right. Uh, I I have to check though, because they haven't been able to run with the crap since he was been gone. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Uh, But Swift, I mean, he, you you wondered, okay, Adrian Peterson, bring him into the mix. Uh, You know, carry on Johnson's still there. Uh, you know, what What was going to be Swift's outlook for his rookie season? And I think it's fair to say he has earned himself uh, some more some more targets, some more carries, uh, just just more on field reps with w- what he did on Sunday. So I, yeah, I th- easy to be excited about what uh, what he's going to bring to that offense. I think the Lions. Uh, oh, I yeah, you're right. A- it's it's rookie, by the way, because I'm okay. looking at 97 and Barry had. Yeah, Barry had two sixteen and two touchdowns two different times in nineteen ninety seven. So yeah, you're right. Okay. It was rookie first time a rookie's done it. That that Lions organization is so confusing when you have you, you look at uh, that especially at offense when you know I, I Matthew Stafford is still good enough to you know help you get to the playoffs. You've got some talented receivers on that team. The offensive line looks much improved. Yes, um, but. You know, it's it's just still feels like the Lions can't do enough. I mean, the defense, there's definitely holes on that side of the ball, but uh, you know, it it just feels like they're running in motion, and you know, they're not able to you know get much traction in that division. But um, you know, we'll, we'll see we'll see if uh, maybe the the win is gonna help propel them and uh, and and you know maybe go on a run here. You know, I I think right now when you look at a team like the Lions, not to get to the deep and in, in one you know uh, kind of outlier offensive team, but the offensive line does need to be tightened up and you do have, I think Terrell Crosby's okay. They added big V over there uh, in the, in the off season. Jonah Jackson's a rookie. Ode Abushi is just, you know, just, just a veteran feeling. Logan Sternberg was drafted also at guard rag. Now I know they like Ty- Taylor Decker is a guy who's, you know, plugged in, but they do have running backs. They do have uh wide receivers. They do have some talent on that defensive line. And, and, and we know that in the secondary, that's where they've had some issues. They've done a good job. I think of filling in, we're going to get to see Jeff Akuda and see what Jeff Akuda ends up doing. But, um, 
to me, by adding Hawkinson and adding, I think that's really going to pay off by next year. The Hawkinson Swift combination uh, right. at skill position, I think, is really going to help the Detroit Lions by next year. And um, we may see a little resurgence with Matt Stafford as this year moves along. He's actually throwing the ball fairly well, uh, even with those wide receivers. I think having a running, a legitimate runner who can really scare some people and they can it's sometimes less is more just the same way Tony Romo was better when he could start handing the ball off more. I think when Matt Stafford finally gets to lean on a running game a little more and maybe start throwing a little less, I think you'll see better things happen for the Lions. Not really a shot at Matt Stafford. I just think that that's a better formula for winning football games because it can help your defense and it, and it can help you control tempo uh, of play. Yeah, no, I, I think that's 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 well said. And you know, for the Lions, you, I mean, scoring over thirty points, uh, which I think is the first time they've done that, I, I believe since the last October. So almost a almost a year they scored over thirty points. So you know, I think we're going to find out. I know it's the Jaguars, but we're going to find out maybe a little bit more. Just. You know how good of a coach Matt Patricia is. I mean, there's no question he's on the hot seat. And you know, Bob Quinn at general manager. I, I, I mean, that it, it would not be a shock if we see a clean sweep uh, of that in that organization with head coach and general manager if they don't turn things around. And so, you know, we'll see just you know how how hard these players want to fight for uh, uh, for those guys and see if the Lions because. That, I don't know that the way the Packers played uh, on Sunday, uh, the Vikings are one and five. You know, I think that division, you know, the Bears are the are, you know, they're winning games, but I don't think you look at the Bears as a, uh, you know, a team that really scares you or a lock to make the playoffs. So that division is really wide open. Yeah, it really um, it really is. And the Green Bay Packers looked awful after the first quarter, just offensively looked terrible. First quarter looked like gang, you know, gang. They came out like gangbusters and, and Todd Bowles, defense really. And, and, you know, Jamel Dean, there's another rookie pick six oh, yeah. yesterday for Jamel Dean and then Carlton Davis, who's been there for a couple of years. He's starting to play better at defensive tackle, but Jamel Dean was a guy who had some injury concerns, but we knew he was fast. Yep. They said he reached, what was it? 21 miles an hour. I think on the, uh, on his t- t- high twenties, twenty one on his uh, next gen stats on on his pick six, I guess he's reached that up uh, that speed twice. He's the he's been the fastest guy twice. So uh, Jamel Dean, we knew he could run, and we knew he had some injury concerns, but good good game uh, for him yesterday. And, and yeah. I know he's another one of those second year guys who you know you we we didn't see necessarily a, enough last year to really know what he's going to be as a rookie. But talk about second-year breakouts. I mean, he's on that list. It looks like he understands what's coming. He's breaking on the ball. You're seeing that speed. And, you know, especially at the cornerback position, it's great if you're fast. But if you don't trust what you're seeing, you're not going to play at that speed. So it seems like that's what Dean's finally doing. Well, and that's the other thing. We say trust. Like when we write up, he has to trust his eyes. There are some guys, especially when you look at, and this happens a lot now, it seems like more and more, Dane, where guys are making position switches, maybe from offense to defense, and former wide receivers are, are becoming corners. They they are looking at the ball there. Yes, they have a lot of times will have ball skills or and, and you'll think they can, you know, you think they'll be more instinctive, but that's not the case. They... And even when they understand what the route, they still have to learn to read the routes moving backwards. They still have to get the route recognition, um, you know, and, and and learn to handle the stems themselves. They're used to doing it. Well, now they've got to get used to recognizing it and responding quickly and playing ahead of the receiver, reading the route and running the route for the, the wide receiver. But I, I think sometimes there it, it's not a given, it's not a lock that a player can trust his eyes and be instinctive. That's still something I think Akuda needs to do a little more. He's got this this great break on the ball, and he's got length, and he's got all the physical traits, but he's got to learn to trust his eyes so that he can start the reaction before the ball is released so that he can start to make breaks because that's when the turnovers will occur. And that's the thing with Jamel Dean is I think he's learned to trust his eyes. He's learned to read routes a little better, and he's learned to – you know, maybe trust his athletic ability because the guys who can run a little bit, they've got a chance to to sit down on routes a little more underneath. Yeah, that's I think that's that's a great point. And something 
We'll be talking a little bit more about that when we get to the safety conversation later. Um, one other rookie I wanted to mention before we move on, uh, and you actually mentioned him, Justin Jefferson. Uh, he had nine, uh, nine catches for 166 yards, two touchdowns. It just he's really settling into that offense, and with you know Adam Thielen taking some of the coverage away, Jefferson stepping up, and you know he, he we talk about we, I think we've talked about him almost uh, uh, every week or the last few weeks, just how he was NFL ready and how it's really blossoming now and settling in as uh, you know as that chemistry between him and Kirk Cousins have you know they, they've really captured something here. Well, I mean he's Stephon Diggs, and he stepped into the Diggs role go. very very quickly, and. Uh, you know, I the the thought in Kansas, and I know I not Kansas City, but Minnesota. I know I spoke with, um, I spoke with an agent who told me that the word in 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 Minnesota was sometime there would be some frustration from Stephon Diggs because Thielen was his guy, and he really trusted Thielen. And well, then Thielen got injured last year, and he he just wasn't the same player uh, physically. He had a hard time coming back, and you know, Diggs took advantage and, and Diggs has always been a very good player. He's doing very well with the Buffalo Bills, but it's been, it's been interesting to see Kirk Cousins trust a rookie this quickly because it doesn't usually happen. We know Justin Jefferson is better than BC Johnson. BC Johnson is the third wide receiver. He's not a, a, a true number two wide receiver. And so for uh, Kirk Cousins to trust a rookie like this, I guarantee you that he went and looked at some tape at some point and saw Joe Burrow uh, making certain throws to Justin Jefferson, watching Justin Jefferson run his routes, seeing the, the the ball skills. I guarantee you that he went and watched some Justin Jefferson tape and said, you know what? This guy's got great ball skills. He He played like a pro last year. I feel comfortable with him. And, you know, he's just looking, projecting out with what he's done so far. He's on pace for 75 catches, uh, over 1,400 yards, eight touchdowns. Uh, just would be a remarkable uh, rookie season if he's able to hit those numbers. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, moving uh, kind of to the college game and the big game over the weekend. We talked a lot about it last week. Alabama, Georgia. Close game to, at halftime. Georgia has actually had the lead, but then the second half. Uh, Mac Jones and the the skill players he has uh, on that Alabama offense uh, just kind of took over, and you know the Georgia defense is certainly talented yeah, from top to bottom, but uh, just yeah, I think it showed how in today's college football, great offense is going to beat great defense uh, because of not just the talent but the scheme. I thought Sark was uh, terrific with some of these play calls and what he was cooking up, but I, I mean specifically, I mean we, we could talk so much about. Uh, you know, Devontae Smith and how he played, Jalen Waddell. Um, Alex Leatherwood had a, a really good game at left tackle. But specifically, I want to talk about Mac Jones. And I, I think he's a player who, you know, we saw last year, obviously, when Tua was hurt. And, you know, he did fairly well uh, in relief. And then coming into this, this year, it was, okay, he's playing really well. But, you know, he's got a lot of talent around him. Let's let's see how he does against, against Georgia, you know, a, a legit defense. And, okay, well, all he did was 24 of 32 for 417 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. So, I, you know, I, I get that he has the talent around him, and that's something that he certainly benefits from. But, I mean, it's time we start giving him, uh, you know, more love because he he's playing really well. Um, you know, you look at the pocket movements, you look at you know his understanding of where to go with the football. He's given his guys a chance. Uh, you know, even when uh, you know the, his guys are covered, he understands where to put the ball so his guys can go make a play, uh, and he trusts that. Uh, he has a lot of confidence in his playmakers, and he should. So I, I think Mac Jones deserves a lot of credit, and you know, I, I, I know scouts are taking a little more notice. Uh, based off of uh, what he's done this season. I got to tell you, I think he's really made improvements from last year. I was just kind of ho-hum about him uh, last year. You know, I think he's got a little bit of a a little bit of a wind-up as he throws. I, st I still think there's some, you know, I, I guess it's really the case of watching Tua with that great upper body twitch and the ba the way that he could just get the ball out so quickly. And, and it just looked like it was slower 
with Mac Jones. He just looked like a slower version. He wasn't as good as Tua. I don't think there's, uh, you know, there's no one who will doubt that. But he did start play. He did have some games where he looked pretty good last year. This year, he looks really confident. He looks like he knows where he wants to go at the football. I think he understands his mismatches, and I think they're pretty clearly defined. I mean, once again, you've got three big-time wide receivers. They typically outgun most of the defenses. This was supposed to be a good matchup for the wide receivers, but they were just too fast. I mean, they were just too fast and too talented. And Max Jones understands where to go with the football, and uh, I really think he's he's coming along with – you mentioned the pocket – uh, his pocket awareness, pocket slides, that pocket mobility, that's a big part of being a pro quarterback. The ability to feel pressure, keep your eyes up the field and slide, slide, climb or slide, climb or slide, or do you exit, you know, or do you know the, the, are you able to exit up and out and then either do some damage with your feet or keep your eyes open to hurt a team. And I, I think that Mac Jones is really um, coming along as a quarterback. And um, of course he's helped by fast wide receivers. Of, of course, he's helped by guys who run great routes. Of course, he's helped by Sark, who's, who's doing a really good job of calling these plays. But, you know, he's also the guy who's out there dealing on a regular basis. And they've had to get in some shootouts, and he's he's done a good job of of, of bringing his pistols and, 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 you know, getting to work. And I thought what was interesting, though, for me is this is a game where an Alabama quarterback throws for 400, which doesn't happen a lot. But you still had the lead ball carrier at Alabama where they're used to sharing carries with a multitude of running backs with 31 carries. So you had a 400-yard passing day and then a workhorse day at running back. That's kind of odd to see that in the same game. Yeah, no, it's 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 I mean, we think back not too long ago when you know it's a, a 9-6 game, Alabama's beaten LSU, and yet SEC was uh, defense, 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 but this things are different now, and it's just uh, Alabama is included in that. Where you're having a lot of points scored, you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of yards, uh, and a part of it is you know the the talent, but what most of it is just a, from looking at the coaches and the way they approach things. You know they're they're using a little bit of up tempo. Uh, you know they're using uh, different schemes to get their guys in space so they can go create. Um, you know it's just more of a schematic change and than anything with the way they're attacking. So you know I, I think it probably started with uh, you know maybe with Lane Kiffin when he was the OC in Alabama, at Alabama and then they've really tried to continue that. So uh, they had a great game plan for Georgia, which again, they are loaded on defense uh, with a lot of future NFL players. And uh, several of them played pretty well. Uh, you know, uh, Audulari had his moments uh, as a pass rusher. Money Rice is, uh, you know, showed why he's one of the best linebackers in this senior class. Yeah, for sure. The corners, I mean, they were they were up and down. Um, you know, they a few missteps, and you 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 can see just how those Alabama receivers can hurt you. I mean, Devontae Smith, I, I tweeted this on Saturday night, but on paper, he's not what you want. I mean, he is 170 pounds, soaking wet. He ran a four-five-two verified for scouts, so 170 pounds and a four-five-two 40-yard dash. That's not it's not what you want. But when you watch the film. I mean, how do you not love what he what he brings to the field? I mean, his ball skills are elite. Um, you know, his ability to work back to the football, uh, his, his quickness, his instincts, his route running. I mean, he just it, it's really really impressive. And I, and I get that he's a little bit of an outlier uh, as a you know we talk about that that weight that frame and you talk about the the time speed. But I, I can't help but see some of that Marvin Harrison and what he does and how he moves and how he impacts the game. It just, it's just a really impressive receiver. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And um, different, you know, Waddle and Smith are going to be different types of receivers. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I love the way that Waddle has shown that ability to work all three levels with, and yet he has Henry Ruggs speed. Uh, but Smith to me is the guy who is really kind of the complete package, just he is smaller, but at the same time, he is just so smooth, graceful. The hands are are so sticky, and um, we don't we don't we don't want to do it all right here because we got lots to talk. <laughs> Alabama always gives us a lot to talk about, but you know I think it's important, Dane, that we start shining a little bit of a light on the Big Ten because the Big Ten is coming back this week, and we get reminded once again that wait a minute. 
Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State. There's some draft prospects here in the Big Ten that we're going to have to get to. No doubt. And in my summer top 50, uh, which I'll be updating here in a few weeks once we get the Big Ten on the field, uh, there were more Big Ten prospects uh, on that list than any other conference, uh, including the SEC. So just uh, it's a really loaded conference, mostly underclassmen. Some have opted out, uh, specifically Micah Parsons, who arguably the top player in the conference. Uh, he, he's a going to be a first round pick in April. Um, he is uh, staying out. Uh, several guys have opted back in: Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, uh, you know Rashad Bateman, Rondale Moore. But I, it's, let, let's kind of just do a, a top five in terms of the prospects that. Can I ask you a would, quick question? Yeah. How many SEC fans? added you on Twitter and told you you lost credibility when you had more Big 12 or Big 10 players than SEC? Because SEC fans don't take kindly to lists that don't have them with the most players on it. And it was close. It was 15 to 14, uh, Big 10 to SEC. And so that, I, I did tweet that that part out. And I mean, there was some, it, some interesting discussions because, you know, I, I, I barely left off, uh, you know, a few SEC guys and it easily could have gone the other way because, you know, it's, I, I think both these conferences are loaded. Um, so I, I, you know, it's the, the SEC, the big 10, in my opinion, are clearly the top two conferences. Clemson might be the best program in America, but there's a big drop off after Clemson and the most the hostile fan bases to draft writers. <laughs> this is very true. This that's what I'm saying. Nice. How many? That's my. That's the weakest thing on Twitter when I have an assessment or, um, especially a mock draft. And well, you just lost all credibility <laughs> when somebody tells me I lost credibility because I give a linebacker to a team that doesn't want you know to a fan who doesn't want him with his team who probably has never even watched the linebacker. But I lost my credibility because Kevin on Twitter told me that. Okay, sorry, Kev. One of my favorite things about this process is just the fact that we see different things, all of us. And, you know, like if if you want to disagree with something that, you know, I write or Lance writes, that's yeah, that's fine. I'm definitely open for that. Absolutely. Come come with some ammo. Don't don't come with, uh, you know, uh, just trying to attack or trying, you know, come with, uh, you know, what you're seeing and your assessment. And that that's that's what starts conversations. And who knows? Maybe you'd be able to sway us a little bit. I mean, I, I, I you know, it, it, or maybe you find out that it was a really close, or you know, maybe he just missed our list, or yeah, you know, it, it just it, just because it's it, he's not on there doesn't mean we don't like him. Yeah, that's just, that's not how it works. No, and people are going to get very different responses from me if you come at me like I, you don't know anything and this, that, and the other. I'm not. I'm not. We're not going to go down that road very long. I'm just letting you know that right now. If you. And, but if you come at I, I me think, with respect, just like you said, oh, I'll discuss why I think something. I'll give you, I'll back it up, uh, and I'll be respectful of your opinion. And like you said, sometimes mm-hmm. I really like, like, I have to let people know, no, you don't understand. I actually really like the guy that you like as well. This is the only issue I have is he's got a, you know, he's got concern with injuries, and I had to drop him out because of that. You know, something like yeah, that. And I- I, no, I, I think a great example was um, I, you know, I heard from a, a Notre Dame fan who was surprised I wasn't higher on Chase Claypool at uh, this time last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, I explained how, oh, I mean, he's big, he's fast, he's athletic. I mean, I, there's a lot to like. I like him. I just, I wasn't sure he was a, uh, you know, a lock top 50 guy because, you know, I was worried about the routes. I was worried about, you know, just there were some things he needed to work on. And, you know, he came with a lot of, you know, good points and, you know what? He he might end up being right with the way that Chase Claypool has been has been playing. He I, I graded him as I think a mid second round pick, um, just outside my top fifty, and you know he he's certainly outplayed that up to this point. So yeah, there's a lot of smart people out there. So just yeah, make sure you're you're coming with that intelligence uh, more so than than anger with these discussions. You know what? I'm not sure if I had him at tight because I kind of felt like he was a big tight end, like he was the a wide receiver tight end hybrid is kind of how I saw him. I'm looking at where I had him. Yeah. I mean, I have him about the same CD lamb, Judy rugs, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. He was my 12th too. Yeah. Yep. I'm at 12. So and I, I thought he was my number one tight end. 
he would have been a number one tight end. But as a receiver, I gave mm-hmm. him a six three two, and for a six three, that is possesses the talent to become a dependable starter within the first couple of seasons and should be an immediate contributor for any team he joins. That's what he is, and he's got a chance to be a plus starter. A six three is a plus starter. Um, I also gave that to Lavisca Chenault, who, by the way, we haven't mentioned him. Dude, Lavisca Chenault, I think, is going to be providing the Jaguars with everything that everyone has always hoped that um, uh, uh, God dog it. Uh, Tennessee, uh, Cordero Patterson. Mm. You know how Cordero Patterson people want a little, you always want a little more from them. Right. LaVisca has the ability, I think, to provide you more of that wide receiver stuff while still giving you the running back looks. And I think they're stupid if they don't give him more fourth and one responsibilities because he is a physical, tough runner from, um, uh, you know, from from direct snap or from wildcat, whatever the look is going to be. Uh, oh, but yeah. I, I think he, I think Lavisca is going to give you a good running back look, the same way that uh, Patterson could give it to you, and he's going to give you more as an actual wide receiver. So, uh, provided he stays healthy, man, I, I I like his potential. Oh, I agree. Chenault, he, he's rare. He's two hundred twenty-seven pounds, but he he's got the elusiveness of a of a much smaller player. So. Uh, no, I agree with you. Um, all right, but let's get this back on track. Let's get back to the Big Ten. Let's uh, we're in a countdown. These are my top five uh, prospects uh, in the conference going into this weekend. We'll see if this how this changes. But uh, I, at number five, this is a close. Uh, this is a little bit of a toss up between two receivers: Rashad Bateman, Rondale Moore. I, I lean towards Rondale Moore. Um, you know, he doesn't have the size five nine one eighty, but when you have the ability to create, I mean, talk about it. This is a guy who doesn't have the size of a LaVisca Chenault, but he can give you looks as a running back because he'll break tackles. Uh, he runs tough. He runs physical. He's shifty in space. Uh, and then just the speed that he can do or that he can bring to the offense is just, it's so impressive. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of downfield reps uh, as he's not a proven downfield threat, but that's just not how Purdue chooses to use him. So uh, it's not that he can't do it. It's just, we haven't seen it on a consistent basis. So a little bit of a projection there, Rondale Moore for me, I, I'm, I'm still a believer, um, you know, eager to see him back on the field after missing uh, almost all of last season with an injury. Yeah, I, um, I am a big fan of Rondale Moore's. I think that's a, a perfect spot to slot him. And look, I want to Bateman. Uh, yeah, I have him over Bateman. Okay. I have him over Bateman a little bit more than you do. Um, I would say this. Rondell Moore, to me, even with the four games he played last year, four and a half and the injury he had, I feel like I know him. I feel like I've seen him before. Right. I feel like I know exactly who he's going to be. He's a very physical runner after catch. He's a he's a very competitive player. Um, he has stepped up big in big games, had a great you know game his rookie season against Ohio State and Sean Wade. We've we've referenced that before here on the on on the podcast. The thing with with more to me is people are going to be talking about him like he's a first-round pick. And he's not going to be a first-round pick because he doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the physical profile of a first-rounder. Teams stay pretty they pre- stay pretty solid uh, to that. I mean, Justin Jefferson was a slot receiver last year who went in the first round, but he has great size. He ran faster than anyone expected. Phenomenal ball skills. You're, you're looking at Rondell Moore as a guy who's going to be shorter, less of a wingspan, less you know catch radius. Um, he's going to be, to me, I think a, a pure slot. He could work outside. You know, he's got maybe a little bit of Jamison Crowder to his game, but it's hard to find comps on him uh, that, you know, I think he's as competitive. Um, I, I mean, personally, I think he's competitive like Lockett was coming out as well. And I think when you look at the comps for a player like this, and you always have to do this when you want to project where a player is going to be drafted, look at look at his physical dimensions, look at his athletic abilities, because if you go back then and look at old drafts, if you go back to like drafthistory.com and you go, cause this is what I do. I study old drafts at every position. And if you look at height, weight, speed, explosiveness, it will tell you what the league norms are. You can see, right. and I'm sure you've seen it too, Dane, the, his profile is third rounder, but I think his, you know, his physical profile and everything about him. But I think realistically, because the the norms are kind of being are are kind of being muddied and 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 the norms aren't really the norms anymore. I do think a team's going to say, you know what? I don't care how tall he is. I don't care about the wingspan. I just care he's a great football player and he can work well with us. 
and we're going to take him in a second. That's where I think he'll go. But I really like him as a talent. And that's exactly why I think he could go in the first, because uh, I, I think when you look at uh, a Jalen Rager, uh, for example, from TCU, who didn't really have the size, uh, didn't test as well as maybe, uh, you know, we thought he would uh, at the combine. But you know what? The Eagles wanted speed and they wanted to bring a different element to their offense. I think in the right situation, Rondale Moore could be looked at in a similar light. If a team is looking for that type of receiver, that type of playmaker, I do think he could uh, end up going in the first round because of just the of, of the specific uh, traits that he brings that are going to make an impact. So it, it really is. A, he's an interesting evaluation because of he was so good as a freshman and then missing most of last year. What he does this year, I, I think, will certainly help shape this conversation uh, in terms of his projection and where he ultimately ends up going. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. I just I'll be surprised if he gets because he's not now. If he runs really fast, all bets are off. If he tests really mm-hmm. well, always all bets are off because that athletic, the 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 production the competitiveness, and then you you add the athletic testing with it, that always shoots guys up. So I'm just I'm just glad he opted back in and we get to watch him play football. Yeah. 100%. Uh, another guy that opted back in is a, a number four for me in the Big Ten. Uh, Sean Wade, corner from Ohio State, a player we, we've touched on before, uh, mostly an inside player for the Buckeyes the past two years playing Mostly a nickel corner position, also seeing some reps as uh, as more of a split safety. But he's going to move outside uh, and see what he can do. And I think his skill set is really built more for the outside. When you look at his his size, his speed, uh, I think I think he has ball skills. Just needs to show it a little bit better. Uh, so I, I'm really eager to see what he can do uh, as an outside corner to see if he can still play at a high level. I think he's one of the best tackling corners uh, in this draft. So, you know, at 6'1", 195, um, you know, a big knock on Wade that when he first got to Columbus was the maturity. Uh, a lot of maturity concerns with him. The last few years, he's really grown up. You know, he comes back for his fourth year uh, to get his degree. Uh, initially opts out, but then he opts back in when the Big Ten announced uh, a comeback. So, you know, I, I think that does speak a little bit to his maturity and the fact that he knows uh, how much there is to gain um, in, in front of him by by playing this season and showing that he can be uh, a, a very capable outside corner. Yeah, and 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 that's really going to be – you and I have talked about it a couple of times. This is really going to show us – a lot of what we want. I mean, this is really going to be the key is seeing exactly what Wade can do as an outside corner. I don't think he has the twitch and wig. I don't think he has the wiggle, I should say, to really match up against the the clever route runners and, you know, the bending routes. But now that he gets to play a little outside, I want to see him press. I want to see him press and chase. I want to see him phase up. I want to see all those things that make up a good uh, outside corner because we know he has the physical measurements. We know he has the tools and he's coming from a spot that gives us a lot of good cornerbacks to take a look at, no doubt. Um, Now we get to really see it in action and I'm really excited about it. I agree. And, you know, fortunately, uh, Ohio State does not have Minnesota on their schedule. um, So we won't see Wade versus Bateman. Uh, I guess we could possibly in the Big Ten championship game. Um, uh, No Purdue, so we won't see a Rondale Moore uh, matchup. But still, just getting those on-field reps um, against anybody at this point is what you want to see from from Sean Wade. Uh, At number three, um, I've got a player who just we don't have a sample size yet for that you want. But the talent, just the natural ability, oh my gosh. I mean, this guy is just oozing with talent. Uh, Jason Owe, edge rusher out of Penn State, 6'5", 255. Um, he's really taking over for Yeter Gross Matos as a, a starter opposite um, Shaka Tony um, on that Penn State front. Uh, there's so much to like about the the natural ability. It's just, can it equate to football production? Where is he in his development in terms of setting up blockers, introducing different rush moves, unlocking all of that potential, that athleticism. Uh, you know, where is he in his development? And then we're going to find that out pretty quickly, uh, especially with uh, Ohio State uh, at Penn State, uh, Halloween night in a few weeks. That's going to be a lot of fun. So Jason Owe, uh, just a really talented player. I tell you what now, um, 
what I see is a guy with phenomenal explosiveness. His first two steps are extremely fast. And what I really like is that, and this is a, this is a little thing that leads to victories when he's at the, when he comes to the top of the rush and he starts to turn a corner, he still needs to, he's definitely got oily hips. And I, I, I think he's got the ability to bend more and dip more. And I think that will come. And he does do a little bit of that for sure. But I think one of the things that really makes him an intriguing talent for me is that he keeps the feet moving. He has good leg drive in his lower half. And so what he does is once there's contact, you know, sometimes that contact balance, um, there's some edge rushers that really, as soon as they, they make contact with the tackle, the motor gears down and they start to, I think, instinctively consider inside moves or how they physically, how you know, the, the, the free run has now changed and there's now some, some resistance against that. What he does is when he gets the corner, as soon as he feels contact, it's almost like he accelerates through the contract uh, to the contact and gets up and over and around. And it's something that, that that can't be taught. Like that is a physical skill that you have to have. I don't think that's a teachable one. His burst is not teachable as an athlete. He is an exceptional athlete. And now what he has, and I did see a little inside out move. He beat a, a Michigan state left tackle for last year. So he showed a little of that. Now what you want to see is his hands get better. You want to see him make the job easier for himself with his hands. You want to see him set up on the third step. I remember talking to um, a pass rush specialist on a team who was telling me, you know, you can always as an offensive lineman. And my dad told me this too. He said, you always read inside or outside foot because the inside move, if you know, if you got your, you're, you're, if you're on the right side as a pass rusher against the left tackle and you have your back right foot back, then you're going to make your inside move either, you know, if you're pushing off with your left foot, then as soon as your right foot comes forward, you could make an early move inside off that right foot, or it's going to take the third step. So you always know where it's coming. Well, I think Owe right now, what he needs to do is really develop an inside move at some point, which shouldn't be hard. And it could be basic. It, it it doesn't need to be a spin. It could be just darting inside on the first step or the third step or the second step if he has his feet different. And once that happens, it's going to open up a whole new world for him as an edge rusher. But I I'm not I don't doubt that the the rush talent will come, Dane. Do you? I, I think I think the the teach that's a teaching team. So I think they're gonna I think they'll school him up this year. Yeah, and that and that's what I just hopefully we see it. You know, being able to see it on the field, see that development. Um, you know, because understanding his background, he was a basketball lifer most uh, mostly growing up, and then they they coaxed him out to the football field, played two years of uh, high school football, just learning the game. So there's there's still a lot about the position. He just he hasn't experienced yet. So I think it's just a matter of unlocking all that potential, and uh, it, he has all the makings of a top 15 type of pick um it's just a matter of you know can can we see that development this season so that that's going to be a big one for him um sticking at pass rusher at number two going up to ann arbor quitty pay uh 6'3 271 doesn't necessarily have the huge production numbers that you would uh expect for a player to be number two on this list but I mean, throw in the Iowa tape and tell me that you're not excited about this guy. He's extremely active, a good pad level in his rush. He's very twitchy with his lower body. Uh, the way he launches out of his stance, staying low, uh, he can you know convert that speed to power. Uh, he can lock out and just create ways to the pocket. Um, talking to uh, you know a, a buddy who's on the Michigan staff, he was telling me how much they love him uh, on that in that program. Uh, he's he's smart, he's tough, he's driven. Um, you know all things that as an NFL coach you want to hear. So uh, I think Quiddy Pay is very talented. It's just I want to see more production. I, I want to see the tackles for loss numbers go up. I want to see the sack numbers go up. That, that's not the be all end all uh, because at the end of the day, it's just can you impact what the offense is doing? That's the job of a pass rusher. But still, I I, I want to see the numbers uh, go up a little bit more with his success rate. Yeah, and I think I think one of the and that one gets to also how he's how he's going to be used in Michigan and how he, you know, th they're going to move players around. They're going to give him a chance to do some twisting. Uh, they'll give him a mm -hmm. chance to. And he last year he rushed some from the interior, which I think is also something. It's a it's a it's a good skill to have because it's a different way of rushing a passer. Um, but he is really going to have to show off the ability to to rush off the edge 
with speed and with the ability to kind of grease that edge and, and make it happen quickly. But he's got a skill, Dane, that is, and, and I know you've talked about it before in, in reading what you, you know, I read your top 50 list uh, earlier in the season, uh, earlier when it came out, you referenced something that, and I think it was one of the greatest signings of the athletic was adding, um, um, adding freak list. Um, Bruce Feldman. Bruce right. Feldman. Yeah. Bruce Feldman, to me, the freak list is should be a Bible for all draft aficionados because he releases it early in the year. And then late, and then when it's draft time, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to go back and hit the freak list. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah. He was talking about Quiddy Pay has a six three nine three cone. Like, what? His three right. co- if that's true, if he if his three cone is that fast at over 270 pounds, that's like that's like wide receiver stuff. Well, it's better than corners. I mean, yeah, it's it's something that is very, very rare. And I I don't think he's going to run, uh, do a three cone like that. But, but, you, but you see that any, quick movement on tape, though. It, exactly. If it's anywhere close to six, seven, I mean, that's that, that's a phenomenal number for a pass rusher, especially a pass rusher that's 270 pounds. So, you know, I, I think for him, the, the twitch, the athletic movements, he has that. I just, it's, it's a little bit of a similar conversation that we just had with Oway. I want to see. Uh, you know, better snap anticipation. I want to see better countering skills, uh, you know, with the way he, uh, you know, if his first rush uh, or first move, that initial step doesn't work, okay, what's plan B? And, you know, how does he uh, get creative with his way to get to the pocket? So it, it just, he's a really talented player. I'll be honest with you. When you look at his frame and how thick his lower half is and everything, it wouldn't shock me. He's already what in the two seventy seven range. I think he's mid two seventies, and he is a thicker player. I, I'm really curious if we're going to see at some point in the future where it depends on how his frame works. But if somebody tries to make him a quick three technique, a guy who is a, a, a little lighter at two ninety two, and I don't know if he can carry that kind of weight, but just I'm just saying because of his body density. Now I'm going to give you an over under, and I want you to take a shot at this. I'm going to say away minus two and a half sacks against Quiddy pay this year. Who you got? He's a two and a half sack favorite against Quiddy Pay, who you even admit uh, has not been that productive. But you know what his no, talent and, is, right? And because he's not, I think I would take away plus the two and a half, because uh, you're giving away two and a half sacks off the bat, right? Yeah. Now remember, there's not as many games. Yeah, you're giving right. two and a half, but there's not as many games. Um, so that is true. Like the, the set, I still think even with fewer games, I think OA may get to double digits. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think he definitely has that, uh, opportunity. Um, are, are you, wait, are you saying do you give away two and a half off the bat or give, no, pay two and a half? Gi- give pay. I think always going to, Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think always going to. Yeah. Have okay. Um, man, that, that is tough. Uh, because I do think always just going to, they're going to let him pin his ears back and go. And he's going to, he's going to have a, a game where he's got three, yep. um, and just kind of rack them up. So that's, that's tough. I, I think I'd still take away. I think, I think I would too. And I think away, you said top 15, I think always mm-hmm. got the physical, I think he's got the length, the burst and the and the position specificity and the position prior prioritization as a rusher to potentially hit that top 10. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it, this is not a really strong uh, pass rush group at the top in terms of, you know, there's no chase young, there's no Bosa's, um, you know, Gregory Rousseau is a really talented guy, but I don't think he's that slam dunk top five pick. Um, and, and so I, yeah, I think always got a lot of opportunity in front of him to really emerge as that, that darling at the position. Um, n- no question. So, all right. I want to get to number one here. Justin Fields, no surprise, Ohio State. Uh, he, he was so impressive last year, kind of orchestrating that that Ryan Day offense. Um, you know, he, he's now got a full year under his belt. Um, this, this is a guy who he never opted out. He, he put a petition together. I mean, he is so anxious to get on the field. He cannot wait to show uh, his development. You know, the last pass we saw him throw was that interception against Clemson, which is just, you know, it looked like Ohio State was just driving down the field, going to take the lead, and Ohio State was going to play in the national title against LSU. 
So you know how driven this guy is uh, to get back on the field and show what he can do. I mean, he He's in the Heisman conversation, even with uh, the limited number of games. Uh, Ohio State, uh, you know, that offense uh, with, uh, even though they've lost, you know, J.K. Dobbins and, uh, you know, several other targets, uh, they bring him back Chris Olave and some of these other guys, these, these underclassmen uh, that, they, that they've got there in Columbus. I, this is a really uh, makings of a special offense, and Justin Fields is a big part of that. Yeah, and, and you know, you also have to mention that that was, look, let's be honest, that was the wide receiver cutter's route off because I think Fields yeah, made the right throw. He made the right read. He made the right throw. Uh, miscommunication, receiver cut the route off, and that was that. But it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, it certainly wasn't due to anything he did. I thought uh, he played a great game. I think that he is uh, getting better and better in terms of seeing the offense and seeing the field, and, and he's got a real – I know there are some NFL teams that really like him a lot. I mean, they're waiting to see what he does this year, but this is a big year. I feel like Trevor Lawrence, there was a time that I was, I remember talking to Bucky Brooks over at NFL. We were, we were talking about, you know, if you really look at it, Trevor Lawrence last year did not have a season that made you say, oh, unbelievable, you know, hands down first pick, not, not from a production standpoint, not from the way he played. Fields actually had had moments that were bigger moments at times than, yeah. than than Trevor Lawrence. Now, what's happened this year is Trevor Lawrence is just saying, "Hey, just want to remind you guys, um, I'm <laughs> I'm good." In case you were yeah. wondering, there's no one else going number one. It is me, right? Hundred percent. Yep, I agree. Um, and that's I think that's a great point. But now Fields is going to get his shot, and I, I referenced it before. But that Halloween night matchup uh, at Penn State. Uh, I mean, that Penn State defense. Probably going to be the best defense that Ohio State plays this year. Uh, that that is going to be something that is going to have a lot of eyeballs on it, uh, especially in NFL circles. So I cannot wait for that matchup. Let's swing it over to our position specific scouting. Um, it's time to get to a position that, frankly, I dread riding up. Uh, I don't know <laughs> yeah. about you. Hundred uh, percent. It's a safety position, and the reason simple: it takes a long time. To, you really have to dig into tape and you really need to, to lock in to, to, to find what you're looking for. But I think it's very important that you have a very clear understanding of, of what your pri- what you prioritize from a trade standpoint. I, I've hit on some safeties and, and surprised myself, but to be honest with you, I still find it one of the harder uh, I still find it one of the harder positions for me to scout because you know, there's there's guys who play. Sometimes it's almost like a guard. I'll see a guard, and I, and, but I know this. Like I've told NFL scouts this, if you don't want to miss on a center or guard, you need to realize what will start in the NFL. And it's not – it doesn't have to be great. It just has to be serviceable. And so you have to scout accordingly. Well, similarly, there's a lot of safety since I've been doing this that I think, okay, that's a backup safety – and they end up starting, and it's Jordan Fuller, Jordan, the Rams, Jordan, the rookie out of Ohio State. I can't believe Jordan Fuller starting right yep. now. You know, and that sometimes just because a guy's starting doesn't mean he's. And this is not a shot at Fuller, but just because uh, a guy is starting, that doesn't mean he's a good player. Because you have below average starters, and those are guys who are, you know, going to be replaced at some point, either off a team or they'll be backups. But with that said. This that's a great point. Different types. I remember when Delano Hill was was drafted. He's mm-hmm. drafted with that is just like I don't know um, running backs or wide receivers. A, the safety position. Different teams have different vibes for what they want at safety, and you just never know what a team's priorities are. Sometimes they want a guy who can, you know, who's around. They want a surefire tackler around the box, and they're not going to ask him for too much. Then you have a, a team that runs a lot of split safety looks, and they have to have guys who can cover. They want guys who can run. They want instinctive players who make plays on the ball. I mean, you just never know what it is that a team is going to covet. But it always surprises me some of the the like. T- Terrell Edmonds, I, I I did not like Terrell Edmonds as the first safety in that draft, and yet there was the Steelers drafting him, and I didn't think he came out you know all that great, but now he's doing a really good job, and Kevin Colbert hit on Terrell Edmonds. Yeah, I think the number one thing when you talk about the safety position and evaluating at the college level, I think it's just understanding what they are asked to do. Um, you know, some some safeties are just boring to watch at the college level because. 
they're just asked to be the last line of defense where they, you know, they're not asked to make plays and drive on the football and they're just, they're asked to do certain things. And so I think that's, that's, that has to be the number one priority when you evaluate the position is just fully understanding what they're asked to do. You know, with one deep safety, usually cover three uh, zone, maybe cover one man. Um, but you have, if you have two deep safeties, then okay, you have to switch your looks. Is this, is this cover two zone? Is this, uh, cover four man. I mean, there, there's just so many different understanding uh, secondary play and understanding coverages uh, that you have to understand that part of it to really know or at least get a feeling for what the safety is being asked to do, because that will help shape your opinion of in your evaluation of, of what he can and can't do. And so um, I know for me, uh, the, the number one, you know, when I look at the safety position and, you know, it, there, there's a lot of different traits that you want. But for me, number one is mental processing. I need a guy who has the eyes, the anticipation. Um, he understands situations. Uh, you know, he understands where the quarterback wants to go. He understands where the sticks are. Uh, just those spatial instincts. Um, you know, that that really helps him to key, read, flow, go attack the football. So I need intelligent safeties uh, on my team when I, when I evaluate the position. Uh, that's. You're, you're dead on. I mean, you have to have that. And I think it goes, when we talk about intelligent safeties, this is the other thing. You know, they cannot play through a straw. They have to have great peripheral vision. They have to have a good understanding. And once again, now, this conversation changes depending on what type of safety you're looking for. But let's let's just talk about a, um, a single high, a split safety, you know, your standard safety with some coverage responsibilities in zone. You have the last line of defense concept. You have to be able, as you're watching a quarterback's eyes, you still need to know the route development around you. So when you talk about processing, part of processing, a big part of it is understanding what is happening with route concepts, where routes are going and what your responsibility, because we know that routes by design, the, the route combinations are designed to stress corners, but primarily safeties. They want to get you out. They want you to bite on a certain route, bite on play action, everything. So many plays, so many offenses, especially the, you know, the old Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan offense is designed on getting safeties out of position for the passing game. And so their ability to recognize it and not bite on play fakes and to recognize the route combinations around them so that they're, they stay deeper than the deepest or they pick up that responsibility. Yeah, you're right, Dane. That's huge. I mean, if you can't do that, then but you have great ball skills or whatever, okay, teams are going to find a spot for you, but they can't trust you there. So now they're going to have to think about another safety position. And I'm going to get to the slot safety. The There's two different types of slot safeties. There's the man cover safety, uh, like the Texans I'm watching them, for example, have given Justin Reed from safety, the you know, the safety from Stanford. They've given him responsibility of, of covering some guys in the slot. And you know, when you're a safety with coverage ability, maybe you have ball skills, they're basically using you as a big corner with the ability to, to tackle as well. Right. Um, like a Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew. And Tyron Matthew's not a guy that had great man-to-man cover skills, but when you let him, when you he has those great instincts and processing right. skills, and so, yeah, he makes plays. But then you have a guy like Jonathan Abram, who is a big nickel over at Mississippi State because he was physical. He had some cover talent, but he was very physical around the line of scrimmage. And I guess that's another type of safety trait, Dane, is – and I think we've, we're seeing some teams kind of get away from it with more and more safeties getting under 200 pounds. I was taught by my mentor – safeties must tackle and they must be able to hold up and be durable as a tackler. So a frame is necessary that you, or you have to be able to get the guy down and you have to be able to be durable while doing it. And so I think being able in the last line of defense to make tackles, to tackle consistently in the open field, man, that is a skill. And I I think we take it for granted, but you know, just like I do. And I remember Marcus Coleman telling me, uh, former cornerback with the Jets, played with the Cowboys, he made in in Texans, he made the switch to safety, but he told me the first year is so tough because you're seeing it at brand new angles. You've never seen run support at that type of angle. And so learning to cut off angles is, is a real challenge when you go corner to safety. Yeah, and I think, you know, to use a baseball reference, a lot of times you put your best 
uh, you know, your, your most rangy athlete, not, maybe not the best athlete, but the most rangy athlete in center field, because you need him to cover a lot of ground and make plays. And that's what you want from your safeties. You want a, a guy that has the range, the instincts, you know, that, that first step when the, the uh, when the ball comes off the bat better be the right step because, you know, you're going to, you know, you, you don't have a lot of wasted steps out there to, to make plays. And it's the same thing with safety. You cannot afford a wasted step or in a moment of indecision. You have to understand before the snap what the offense is trying to do and then break down those route combinations like you were talking about uh, in real time to understand uh, you know where you need to be. And that's we saw that in Alabama-Georgia uh, game. Uh, Sark in the second half did a, a terrific job of getting those safeties to bite and getting them out of position to open up uh, yards after catch for those uh, terrific skill players on the Alabama offense so it's something where the safeties need that they, they can't be out of position because like you like you mentioned they're the last line of defense and if you can't trust a safety as a last line of defense uh you're gonna have a hard time seeing the field yeah and, and, to, and to your point about the intelligence I think sometimes safeties need to be like offense coordinators they need to be able to anticipate what would I do here would I try to you know so that they don't get sucked up on play action. They have to trust their front seven. They can't instinctively be wild men. They have to know, you know, if they're, if, if they fire downhill, like an Antoine Winfield, you know, Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to fly in and do what he needs to do. But at the same time, phenomenal, phenomenal instincts, great ball skills. Um, There is, there's just, you know, but, but Malik Hooker, great ball skills, but he wasn't durable. And if you're not durable, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to keep playing safety in the NFL. But the other thing I want to mention is that now more than ever with with teams taking shot with speeds down with, you know, taking shots with speed down the field, like a Henry Ruggs type or or Waddle when he gets in the league, uh, Will Fuller, any of these guys that can burn, you need to have that range over the top, as you mentioned, but you also need to be able to track and, and go up and high point and disrupt and be physical. And I know, and you just mentioned it. When I'm looking through a guy's bio in high school, I love when I see a guy played out played baseball because I'll immediately go look him up and see if he played outfield. Because you give me a center field, you give me a safety who played outfield, and I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna see it great. He's gonna track it, right. he'll be instinctive. This is gonna really, you know, it's then it becomes does he have the physical tools? Yep, hundred percent. I I think that's when you run down the traits that you look for at safety. Mental processing to me is one. Uh, two, I think it, it, athletic ability range, um, and then three is the tackling uh, ability and just to, to be a consistent finisher. I, I think those are the three most important traits uh, for the safety position. Um, you know, maybe you can be. Uh, not great in one of those areas, but you, you better not be deficient or you're not going to be a, a safety that carves out a long-term career uh, in the NFL. So, um, you know, after that, you're looking for guys with competitive toughness. You're looking for guys that have some take on skills. And then you mentioned the body. Um, you know, you get, it's a very physical position. You, it doesn't matter. You know, Bob Sanders is a great example. Bob Sanders was as tough as they come at safety. But if you don't have the body uh, that's going to be able to withstand all those blows, uh, it, it unfortunately uh, is not going to mean much. So, you know, the safety position, uh, one of the, I think, toughest to evaluate. Um, you know, it can be, like I mentioned earlier, it can be boring sometimes to fully understand what these guys are doing at the college level, what they're asked to do. But, you know, when you find a safety that you really like, that can do it all, uh, it's a lot of fun and makes for a really interesting process. And I I think the other thing is one of the reasons it's tough is also because there are teams that have legit strong and legit free. You do have teams that, you know, some schemes where you're going to, you're going to look at a big nickel, a safety, and then you have to project into a different position. You also need to dig deeper into uh, special teams history because if you're a safety, you got to play teams, got to be able to play teams. And when safeties, not just starters, but, you know, guys who are borderline starters, they need to have, they don't need to, but when they do have special teams history and they've made tackles and they're a core teams player, that all that does is raise their value. Cause you know that like, if you're a Rayshon Jenkins, you know, you can, you can bring him in and bring him along but you know that even if a guy doesn't become a starter, if they can be a good backup and a really good special teams player, that's a very valuable thing to have on your, uh, you know, to have on your roster. I think the hardest thing for me, Dane, with safeties is that 
we want to see plays, right? We want to see great plays. We want to see running backs that make these great plays. Sometimes with safety, they'll make a great play six yards deep. Like it's a six yard tackle or it's a tackle 12 yards down the field, or it's just their ability to range on a pass that goes out of bounds on a deep shot down the right sideline. And it goes out of bounds over the wide receiver's head. And you think, oh, what's the big deal? But if if you see, I think a good evaluator will see a safety and you'll see the speed to range over the top where you'll see him get a jump on a ball before the wire, before the quarterback even starts to go into his passing motion. These are cues that you have to pick up on. And for me, the hardest thing I think is, is looking at non-exciting plays and appreciating their value. I think that's the hardest thing for me. Yeah, no, that and that makes sense because you see it plenty uh, at the position. Um, and part of it is the quarterback. Uh, you know, where are his eyes? Is the safety falling for that, uh, or is the safety you know understand what the quarterback's trying to do? It's a cat and mouse game, uh, you know, between those two. And so um, it, it's something that definitely impacts uh, the scoreboard and something that uh, scouts have to really hone in on. Um, all right, well, I think that's a great. Great conversation on the safety play. Um, I, I think yeah, this has been really fun doing this pos- uh, position each week. You know, we we'll, we did defense this week, so maybe we'll back back over to the offense uh, next week. Uh, but I, I think it's uh, you know get a lot of great feedback on that. So really happy people are enjoying it. Uh, that's gonna do it for this week's uh, prospects of pros. You can find Lance uh, on Twitter at Lance Zerline. I'm at DP Brugler. Thanks to Kent Garrison behind the glass. Uh, please subscribe, rate, comment. We really do appreciate it, and we're going to talk to you next week.